Hi, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast, a show where we talk about movies and, well, more movies. I'm D-Man, joined by CP. How are you doing today, man? I'm good, dude. How are you? Well, I'm excited to share my thoughts on the new Black Panther Wakanda Forever movie. Which I still have not seen. Oh, man. So (laughs) how do you feel about D-Man spoiling Wakanda Forever? I think that's kind of fair because I'm pretty sure that two episodes ago, I spoiled Black Adam for you. So I guess this is just getting back at what I have coming to me. This is called karma. Payback's a bitch. (laughs) And (laughs) anyway, yes. But I was prepared. Oh, Black Panther. Nice. (laughs) Holding up the action figure for those that are listening. CP always comes prepared. That is, you know, we'll go ahead and start this episode off a little with a big spoiler alert. We are going to talk a little bit of Black Panther, and I don't think there's any way I can do it without spoiling it. I don't trust myself, and I get to edit this. First things first, are we actually going to get into shout outs? Oh, yeah. I'm not going to jump into oh, the black. Okay. I was like, saying, I was like, did like, we hey, just skip it, over your favorite part of the episode, dude? I'm just saying, like, we'll, we'll timestamp it in the description so you can skip ahead after the discussion <laughs> on Black Panther. <laughs> but once we get into it, there will be spoilers. If you haven't seen it yet, you totally plan on seeing it. Obviously, I'm not a fan of getting the movies that I want to see spoiled. This is a little early. You know, this movie just came out, just released. Just excited to talk about it. And then hopefully, if you have seen it, get everybody's feedback on it. As CP mentioned, though, before we jump into that discussion, we do have shout outs. First uh, shout out on this episode is actually an RIP to Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman from the animated series, the video games, and so many iterations. I mean, I've even watched the YouTube videos where he reads all the like movie dark scripts. lines yeah. and stuff. It's yeah. amazing. Oh, I he, mean, he was incredible in that specific role. And obviously that's what he's known for. But unfortunately, during this last week, he passed. So we just wanted to give an RIP and to all of uh, fans out there and everybody listening. We did get a few responses because we shared a post and just wanted to say, yeah, we're with you guys, man. He will be missed. Kevin Conroy so. was the best Batman. I'm still con- convinced of it and i'm so bummed that he's gone i know you know you're reading the tributes and everything from like mark hamill to all the people who have worked with them and i mean it was a great outpouring of support it's always weird though you know when people do pass all these kind words can come out after they're gone sometimes you're like man just like it'd be great if that outpouring of love was Mm -hmm. when you were still there such is life that's how it goes so you just hope you leave something behind that everybody will miss He definitely did. So next up on our shout outs is actually a perspective said Klaus is currently my favorite Christmas movie these days. I love it. That actually is a fantastic movie. And that's on my list to watch this year, as I mentioned last week. Yes, that is actually like a really cool movie. Just surprisingly better than I thought. Anyway, he also said about Dooku, agreed. I think they redeemed his backstory with the Tales of the Jedi episode. So already uh, kind of hit on that. But yeah, I agree with you there, man. I think that, uh, you know, as a character, he didn't get explored a lot in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, the actual trilogy movies. In some ways, it almost felt like he was a stand-in for what would have been a much more compelling Darth Maul. For them to actually flesh out that backstory in a meaningful way is really cool. And it's so weird, too, because Count Dooku, I mean, when did Attack the Clones come out? 2002? You know, yes. Revenge of the Sith? He got yes. killed on screen in 2005? It's been almost, like, what is that, 17, 17 years? years? Yeah, like, that's crazy. Wait, is that 17? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my bad. Fast math sometimes throws me off my game. So, yeah, you don't want me engineering in the field. 
Shout out to Matt Helson. <laughs> shout out to our uh, yeah, resident engineer. Next up is a shout out to Ivor, who jumped in and said, Netflix might be good to have a few like international movie series. I came across a list of codes that allowed a user to access other countries' Netflix a couple of years ago, but there probably is not any subs, so you'd be limited to whatever languages you could speak. That's mm. actually interesting because we did not touch on when we got into our conversation on Netflix that it is different in different countries. Movies that they don't have here, they might have the license to internationally. In addition to, like Iver said, having other foreign films in those markets. That is something that's in terms of what we were getting at. You know, we were having a conversation about ads and a new ad supported tier. But even when you think about, I think we kind of dove into like at what point (laughs) i think the way i phrased it was like does netflix become like the bargain bin Mm -hmm. you know i think especially when you go internationally there's still such a huge opportunity because not all of these other streaming services are in those markets plus as i said it's pretty cool i know if you get the um think you can get like the uh vpn set up the virtual network setup and you can get access to all that additional content i'm sure there's some really great stuff out there that It's not in our streaming services. Thank you, Ivor. Appreciate the comment. Uh, Next up, Lindsay Baker. She said, uh, Crispy, I think I'm still on the hill that thinks seven to nine are good. I think I'm going to die on it. And I believe that's a direct reference to the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Can you confirm? Yes, that's what I would confirm. That is tough because, yeah, I mean, if I was ranking the trilogies, OT, PT, ST. (laughs) (laughs) and i would agree 100 percent with that ranking man 100 percent. we're gonna live stream christian watching you know the sequel trilogy disney movies i think that or at least live tweet it because we gotta get (laughs) we gotta get your thoughts as you're watching it because some of it is amazing like some of it you're gonna be like what that was dope and some of it you're gonna be like what the hell I doubt I will ever say what that is dope. Oh, I guess right. watch it, we'll see. Next up is Jazzy the Great said, so I'm currently watching A New Hope for the first time ever. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm so happy for you. I can't even express. Like, I really hope you enjoyed the movie because this was, you know, a few days ago now. So I hope you finished it. You actually, when I read this comment, she's like, I'm new, but I realized that in episode 54 of F- FCP 21 minutes in, Christian mentions that in the future, when Disney casts new Luke Skywalker, we already know who it is supposed to be and who it is not. She said, have you seen the uh, Luke Skywalker lookalike, which is the Winter Soldier, Sebastian Stan. She comes in and she's like, please don't let Christian say I don't know what I'm talking about. I stand with Sebastian Stan as Luke Skywalker. He's a great actor. And the new generation of Star Wars fans, I think he could uh, help it branch out. I don't think you're wrong. If you've ever seen that photo that went around, you know how like sometimes fans kind of pre-cast the actors that they want to play roles. He did fit really well into the uh, Mark Hamill silhouette. I mean, he looked a lot like Luke. But more importantly, I just hope you enjoyed A New Hope because that movie is just amazing. That is his favorite movie of all time. It is. I mean, now I kind of want to stop recording and go watch it. (laughs) I'll control myself. Maybe later tonight I'll put on a new hope because wow, it's just getting me so excited. And then finally, I just want to give a big shout out to uh, Brandon. So happy birthday, Brandon. It is his birthday. I know he's going through some stuff down in Florida. Brandon, we love you, man. Hope you had a great birthday weekend. Happy birthday, Brandon. Did you have any shout outs on this episode? Shout out Ryan Wines at all. He was actually one of the first people to respond when we were talking about Netflix. He said he asked the Netflix thing a while back. He said he uses all the 
the ad supported freebie streaming services for the most part. And he said, that's good enough for him. So thank you, Ryan, for answering our question that we posed in the last episode. Yeah. Wines that'll love the comment. I also saw that you shared with us that you guys got some snow this weekend. Enjoy the snow. I don't know if he likes the snow. I was going to say, I mean, maybe Wines that'll hates the snow. <laughs> if you don't, man. Well, here we go. Spoiler time. So this is, we'll timestamp it, but essentially like if you haven't seen Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, this is your moment to skip ahead and we'll wrap up the episode over on the other side of this discussion. So spoiler, here we go. Before we get started in my thoughts, what are your expectations based on the trailer and what you've heard, CP? Were your expectations high going into it? Well, no. Unfortunately, for me, that's just because of the fact that the man who embodied Black Panther so well is not going to be in the film. As soon as Chadwick Boseman passed, I think we kind of knew this movie was going to have a lot to live up to. And so for me, I was like, I, you're going to have to really pull off some kind of miracle to make a Black Panther movie without Black Panther. So that was the first thing. Now, watching the trailer, I was kind of intrigued. I like the concept of bringing in Namor. The vibe I was getting is uncovering this past just something the first film dealt with the past that we know versus the past that actually happened kind of the same thing that Thor dealt mm -hmm. with in Ragnarok and I thought that was a really interesting concept if we went down that road in terms of Wakanda right the Wakanda we know versus some sort of darker history of Wakanda I was interested in that obviously the trailers lead us on to who is going to be taking up the mantle of Black Panther and there was a lot of stuff on the internet about maybe it's Killmonger maybe it's Suri maybe it's Umbaga who is it who's the new Black Panther? Well, I'm going to answer that question. We're going to get into so much more. So I did see the movie. I actually went on premiere night on Thursday night and it was a lot of fun. I love going to the premieres and, and Marvel is, you know, there's always Marvel movies coming out except for the pandemic, but generally for like the last decade, there's always Marvel movies on the horizon. I actually thought Wakanda Forever was a solid entry for the MCU, but I felt it was a little bit more middle of the pack. I would not say it was better than Black Panther 1. Part of the reasoning for that is nobody, I mean, a couple of the actors have their moments in this movie, but generally no one commands the screen the way Chadwick Boseman and uh, Michael B. Jordan did in the first. They, they put out some great performances. While, like I said, there are a few really good moments in here, it just didn't carry over for the entirety of the film. So, but I thought the things they do well, it was actually a great tribute to Chadwick Boseman. Obviously, if for anybody that's curious as to, uh, what actually happened to T'Challa in world in the MCU. He did contract either a virus or a disease and it killed him essentially before Shuri could recreate the heart-shaped herb, which she believed would have been able to save him, but will never know. Ultimately, similar to, uh, you know, the actor passing, that's kind of how it went down. And they kind of just played it out that way. Uh, they didn't really do anything else with his character. So, like, obviously, you could have done a number of things, right? He could have been in the movie, like, murdered in his sleep or killed in some epic battle off screen that there were repercussions for. But in this case, they kind of just let him pass. And the movie actually thematically does deal with grief. I thought that stuff actually worked pretty good. It felt pretty powerful obviously there is a sense that they're mourning the actor as well as the character does chadwick boseman actually appear in any way in like a flashback so they did do a marvel tribute with the logo at the beginning the same way i think they did for uh stan lee 
Okay. But in movie, uh, it's in the trailer actually. Uh, there is a like uh, portrait mural. on like yeah, on like this or a mural on like the side of a building that is his face. But that's really the extent that his presence is physically shown on okay. film. Okay. There's not really any flashbacks or anything deliberately to the previous movie or his time in the MCU. Like I said, the theme of the movie, like one of the themes of the movie is dealing with grief. And I thought that worked. One of the things that stood out to me, though, was, and listeners, if you saw this movie, I kind of want to get your opinion on this. But I thought the first third of the movie was like visually way too dark. In my opinion, it, it really was the way it was filmed. You know, they're on a riverbed at night. Uh, they're on a bridge at night. They're on a boat in the Atlantic Ocean at night. Like a lot of the stuff, you could not see it very well. Hmm. Part of that might, I mean, I don't want to just say that's all on the filmmakers. That could have been specific to the screen I saw it on or the theater I was at. You know, I don't know. For whatever reason, the way I saw the movie, it was really dark and hard to see. So that was a little off-putting. I thought the uh, I thought the pacing of the movie was actually off. They don't really account for any time jumps and like some of the stuff that happens. It's like you have one scene that takes, you know, minutes and then things jump. But there's almost no acknowledgement of any time jumps or anything. It's just kind of like, yeah, we're here. Time passed. Literally, like no acknowledgement. It's literally it feels like the scene is happening like five minutes after the last scene. But really, it's been a while. So it doesn't to me that didn't work all that well. Uh, the score, you know, it's hard to, as a sequel to come up with music that can kind of top the iconic original music. I'm looking at you, Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> John Williams is amazing. This one doesn't really surpass the original. I thought the original was absolutely fantastic. They they captured a uh, an entire sound that you could instantly put it into. Uh, they even do it, I think, in Infinity War where there's an illusion to they're going to go somewhere and then they play the Black Panther music. And you know, they're going to Wakanda. It's instantly recognizable. And I thought it worked really well. And they obviously are rehashing that here, but they don't add a whole lot to it. It doesn't grow. There's nothing new I felt that came out of it. And then I didn't think the uh, songs that accompanied the movie, because it's also known for its soundtrack, particularly in the first one, the weekend song, I thought was awesome. I don't think they passed that here either, but still good, right? Not bad. Okay. And then to that end, I think the runtime of this movie was like two hours and 41 minutes, which is just too long for a comic book movie. Honestly, there's an entire like sub story about Ross and like the CIA and all this stuff. If you really wanted to, I bet you could cut all of it. Like, okay. that's kind of like their like ties to the MCU scenes and like kind of keeping it connected. But realistically, if you're just serving the story, like I think you could just ax all that. Put it in another movie or a Disney Plus show. I'm not saying it's not relevant to pushing the narrative forward, but just in terms of what the story is with Namor, the grief around the passing of T'Challa, it just doesn't really serve the story at all. Mm -hmm. So now let's get to Namor. Thought they did the villain pretty well on a on a background level. So essentially, Wakanda has always been this uh, you know reserved country that doesn't really get involved in world affairs, and part of that is that they're right safeguarding vibranium. Vibranium is another factor in this story. Which essentially, when the comic that landed on Earth and delivered vibranium to Wakanda, part of it broke off and fell in the Atlantic Ocean. And those people, you know, it, it grew into the herbs and they drank it. And they got powers and then they live in the sea. I, fr I think it's called Telecon is the name of the city. Although I don't know if that's exclusive to the comics, but it's essentially like Atlantis. 
Mm-hmm. It even looks a lot like it. I actually thought they did a good job with his backstory. He felt relatable. Um, you know, obviously. So the crux of the story is that somebody has invented a machine that can detect vibranium. So of course, America, all the other countries, they want to find vibranium. So they find it in the Atlantic Ocean. The telecom people feel threatened and basically threatened to uh, come up and destroy the world above the water, right? There's the there's your evil threat. It's not particularly uh, threat. I mean, it's not particularly unique or anything. Kind of original. Like, <laughs> we're going to destroy the world type scenario. But I think he, they do this scene where they give him a backstory that I think works really well. I thought he gave a good performance, but oh my God, dude, I, I can't wait till you see it. But they literally have this guy, they put wings on his feet and he's like flying around with little wings on his, on his shoe. Well, I guess they're off his ankles. It just does not work. It looks so cartoonish against a lot of what is happening here. Is it like, the action of, of wings on his ankles or is it the actual CGI behind it or both? It's both. Ooh, I mean, we, if we got to get into the CGI, I mean, the CGI, in my opinion, is not great here. There is a lot that stands out to me. Like Marvel's known now as having shots with actors and they have kind of a blurred out background behind them, but they're known for their, it's like this, you're in like Wakanda. It's like this huge city. And yet the background feels flat. Mm. Like it just doesn't feel like there's real depth here. And speaking to that, even like Wakanda itself, like it doesn't feel like they give Wakanda the proper scale in my opinion. It doesn't feel like a country. It feels mm. like, I don't know, I guess more like tribe mm. than like a country because mm. there just doesn't seem to be a lot of like people. And then even at one point, like this is what I was talking about with the pacing. Like they obviously they're facing Namor. So he breaks into Wakanda, which is crazy because Wakanda literally like held off Thanos's men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. apparently they just like sneak under the water. You're like, get out of here. Yeah, I heard there's and, something where they send whales up the freshwater river. And I was like, Yeah, eh, well, not I'm, only that, don't they, think that they actually right? sneak in like two or three times. So it was like, Oh wow. I mean, this is Wakanda. You guys have vibranium and all this shit. Like you would think all this technology, you think you'd like someone would put like like a Google Nest Cam over there or something. Yeah, like safeguard against this stuff, but whatever. Well, anyway, yeah, it's just like they end up flooding Wakanda and they move a lot of the buildings and stuff up to like umbaku's like snow area Mm -hmm. but it just doesn't it doesn't feel right do you know how long that would take (laughs) they make it look like they like packed up a house and like i know they have like incredible equipment and all this stuff but i was like oh come on you guys can just like pick up a city i don't know that just seems ridiculous (laughs) to me okay Here's the last thing I wanted to get into. And this was, again, something that I didn't really care for, even though a lot of people online actually seem to have loved it. And that is the appearance of Riri Williams as Ironheart. I didn't really care for it. She had a bit of a, what do they call it? Like a Mary Sue vibe. She's Mm -hmm. a genius and essentially like invents her own Iron Man armor, which is like fine. Like Stark tech is out there. Like she's like, oh, I've never flown it before. And then flies it great. It's like Ray picking up a lightsaber for the first time and Force Awakens. Everybody was like, oh, okay. Like you were good with a staff. All right, I guess you're a Jedi. But more than that, I thought she provided the actual actress did a good job of providing comic relief, but I just did not feel that they gave the character any depth or real backstory. The closest they come is they acknowledge that her father has passed and he left her this car and and kind of fits into the theme of like losing people and grieving. But other than that, like they don't really give her. So anyway, when I said that somebody invented a machine that can find vibranium, 
it was her. She's in college. <laughs> her professor said that she couldn't do it. And she basically was like, I just did it to prove them wrong. Well, anyway, Namor wants her dead. So the basic plot is that like Namor's coming after her to kill her because apparently this is where things go off the rails, right? Apparently he's like, oh, if we kill her, they won't be able to find Vibranium. I'm like, the thing's already freaking built. You don't think anybody can like undo it and figure out how it works? Because the implication is, oh, well, she knows. I'm like, yeah, she personally built the damn thing. No, <laughs> you need like a manufacturing plant or even like Stark has like his fabricator <laughs> something. I was like, dude, she's just like working out of a dorm room. I'm like, there's no way she physically built that. But whatever. Essentially, she becomes America Chavez from Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Like Wanda's trying to get America Chavez. She wants to use her powers. Namor wants to destroy her powers. She essentially serves the exact same plot purpose. And like what really sucks to me is that I feel like it does not need to be Ironheart. Like you could just replace her. You don't go to a dorm room. You go to a lab. You could be a scientist. They could have comic relief. And then instead of getting the Ironheart suit, you could have just put them in one of the new Wakandan suits. Mm. And then that person could fly around other than just being like a character introduction, she literally does not actually add anything to the overall narrative. Interesting. I just didn't care for it. It felt like a wasted opportunity. It seems like if you're going to bring somebody in, they got to at least have, even, you know, you, th you go back to like Civil War and, and Tony Stark goes and gets Spider-Man, right? I mean, at least Spider-Man has unique powers in a Civil War. He's at least fun to be a part of it. Ironheart is like a lesser version of Iron. There's nothing unique about it. And then she has no connection connection to Iron Man. At yeah. least as of this film. Maybe she does. And maybe that'll be explored later. Whatever. And then, okay, lastly, I don't know if you have seen this, but it is absolutely stunning how bad her Mark II suit looks when she fights with the Wakandans against Namor. I mean, it is like- I've not seen it awful i mean i might even right now in this podcast when i edit it i might just flash the photo because it is not great really yeah Whoa, what's it's going like on? online it's being compared to like a power ranger suit but generally speaking like it it doesn't look i don't know good i really didn't like it and then oh my god dude there's just so many things that happen in this movie that are absolutely stunningly like stupid. So, okay, Namor wants to kill Riri Williams because apparently she's the only one who will be able to find Vibrate. That seems ridiculous at face value because there's already been a finder that's been made. Well, anyway, when he finally finds her, he takes her prisoner. Hmm. I mean, murder her. So one What's of the, the thing, point of all this? Like one of the things I did hear that happened is Namor does kill Angela Bassett's character. Yes, Queen Wakanda, who actually Angela Bassett gives, she probably gives the best performance well, movie. and that's what I, and I heard one of Her the problems Shuri is were she is the person who, who has all the presence in the film. And so when she leaves, my understanding is he kills her and then he says, I'm going to come back in 10 days. Yeah. It's like, but why? It's like, you have why wait 10 days, bro? <laughs> no, they don't even have at this point because literally like Black Panther doesn't show up until two thirds of the way through the movie. They do not even have Black Panther yet. He could literally just like wipe out Wakanda. Instead, he's like, oh, I'm, I'll come back. Bad what? writing. Bad writing. Why? Why would you? Why would you even attack Wakanda? Why did you even come here? If you weren't going to finish it off, you came here to send a message. I mean, don't send a message. Kill me. And then, okay. So then finally, Shuri ends up, she travels down to Talakan, Atlantis. She's like negotiating. Doesn't go well. Anyway, she brings something back with her that from that part of the asteroid that landed, she's able to recreate the heart shaper and she drinks the stuff and becomes the Black Panther. So their plan is because a 
apparently, and literally, I don't even know how they figure this out. They just deduce. Oh, you know, Namor's from the water. Really dry. Just like lose his powers. To draw him out before the apparent whatever, 10 days are up. They're like, oh, you know what we should do? Let's take a giant boat out to the Atlantic Ocean so we can draw him out. Mm. Uh, you're basically going to fight on his turf. Yeah, that's a bad idea. No, it's like an awful idea. And it goes just as poorly. You know, all the technology that like freaking Wakanda has, what they do is send the chicks in the red robes. They basically like throw ropes over the side and have them with spears try to like take out these guys from Talakon, all these people who are like incredibly powerful. Okoye literally like stabs one of them and then they just like magically heal because they all have vibranium in them. The whole thing's like mind blowing. Well, anyway, Namor's pretty powerful, generally speaking. I mean, he has these winged feet that are just awful visually. It makes him look terrible, but whatever. Riding one. So like they get him up there and then of course Shuri they like get him in one of the ships and they put him in this stuff that like warm like keeps him warm so he loses powers and then they end up on like beach and him and Shuri just like fist fight it out. I was like oh my god you guys have all these cool powers let's like let's throw a couple blows that's what happens. That's weird. So, and then get this. Shuri gets stabbed. Parents say that people in the MCU can't get stabbed and live, right? Tony Stark gets stabbed by uh, Thanos and he magically heals himself. Whatever. Mm -hmm. But anyway, she ends up going up, like, she's supposed to have learned this lesson that, like, you know, hey, uh, essentially, like, what's the theme from Civil War for Black Panther? It's literally, like, that exact same arc. So, yeah. like, at the end, she lets Namor live. They basically, like, come back to the big ship as the two sides are still fighting each other. Like, they couldn't even send an audio signal and be like, hey, cut it out. And then they just, like, agree to a truce. And it was like, if you freaking people had just talked about this, like, <laughs> why did we have to, like, go through all this? Why did so many people have to die for us to just have a truce What the, the hell? That seems weird to me. Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah, parts of it were pretty tough. They, uh, Based on that, I don't really want to go see the movie. I hope I didn't. A bit of that was a little rambling, but it was a movie that I had really high hopes for, you know? I had heard good things, but here's here's my final thoughts on Wakanda Forever. I, this is where I, I want to get your input. Just like almost every other project in Phase 4, it does not push the MCU forward at all and basically has nothing to do with anything. Did you see Eternals? Uh, no, I only watch good movies. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, in Eternals, a uh, Celestial comes out out of earth and gets frozen midway up in one of the oceans. There's literally like a celestial like sticking out of earth. And everybody was assuming that, oh, who would know about that better than anyone than Namor? And no, he has nothing to do with any of that. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> it's literally never been acknowledged in the MCU timeline. Basically, phase four, like my guess is realistically, you could skip the whole thing. And by the time you get to phase five, it really won't even matter. That said, I enjoyed a lot of the movies from phase four. I mean, I love Marvel. It's not that the movies aren't good in their own right, but just in terms of the overall like Back in the day, if you skipped Winter Soldier and got to Age of Ultron, you'd be like, well, where's S.H.I.E.L.D.? You're like, well, that's a whole story. What happened in the movie? Movies affected what happened later. Kind of a big deal. I don't think there's anything in any of these movies. Like, I mean, Thor, you could literally skip. That's kind of how I felt about it. I gave it, you know, a solid six out of 10. I was definitely entertained. I didn't hate the movie or anything. I just, I don't think it was Marvel's best work. And like I said, I thought the tribute to Chadwick Boseman and T'Challa works really well. I think the theme of dealing with grief works really well. They kind of go for this whole, it's a rehash of, but I do think that Black Panther 1 deals a lot with like fathers and sons and legacy and what gets passed on. That's like a universal theme. 
that like transcends cultures, transcends families, all deal with that. And it can be different for each individual, but even culturally, like we deal with that. I didn't think they had a theme in this one quite as powerful. And the reason for that is because I think the theme of vengeance for Shuri, who does become Black Panther, was a little bit of a retread. She's basically doing the same arc that T'Challa went through when his dad died. Felt a little Mm -hmm. repetitive. Uh, And it's well done. I'm not, not arguing that it's not. I actually thought it was handled really well. It's just that you've already done it. I thought they had a nice post credit scene, but it got a lot of crap online. So basically, Shuri ends up taking a break, kind of gives away the mantle. It's implied that Umbaku is going to uh, take up the mantle of Black Panther. But basically, Shuri goes to Haiti to visit T'Challa's girlfriend. And apparently, I guess they got married and had a kid. And he looks, I don't know, probably like six, seven years old. Okay. But they hid him from everybody this whole time. While it's like incredibly charming, he did have a son and that he will live on through him. And Shuri can see her brother in him. It's also kind of weird. You had a kid and no one knew. And like you hit him away. But if you uh, can excuse that and just say whatever, they did what was best. Then uh, the scene itself plays very touching. It's actually really well done. It's very powerful. <laughs> so anyway, I have spoiled the whole thing for you. Well, you actually summarized the whole thing for me. So now I really don't need to go see it. Go sit down and wait for phase five to start. I know where we are. So, Namor is yeah. officially part of the MCU. Yay. Yeah. While we're on the topic of Marvel movies, though, I want to throw it over to you because we found something pretty intriguing and I feel like you're going to have some thoughts on it. So <laughs> well, this is where uh, if you're joining us again, this is where the uh, timestamp ended. We're not going to be talking about Wakanda forever anymore. <laughs> now we we're are jumping not. into Go ahead and introduce what we're going to talk about. We are not. If you're weird like D-Man and I and you care about movie news, you probably read The Hollywood Reporter. Hollywood Reporter had an awesome article that premiered earlier, and it said, all 70 Marvel movies ranked worst to best. Now, Mm -hmm. I know what you're thinking. 70 Marvel movies, that's a lot. Well, this is a very in-depth list of essentially every Marvel-related movie made in probably the last 40 years. This is more than just MCU films. I know what you're thinking. That's pretty cool. No, because it's a terrible freaking list. Hollywood Reporter, have you ever watched Marvel movies? That's my question. We're talking 70 movies, and they put Ant-Man at number 11 and Captain Marvel at number 7. Now, when you hear the movies, that obviously those have to be ranked higher. I mean, that's like crazy, right? Oh, it's totally crazy. We're not going to expect you to read this whole thing, and we're not going to read the whole thing. I wanted to bring up a couple highlights from the list. Out of the 70 movies, number 68 is actually Howard the Duck, which I do find a fitting placement for... That's appropriately ranked. A movie that everybody... I've seen that. I used to watch that as a kid and thought it was good. And then it's one of those movies I watched when I was a little bit older. And I was like, this movie's terrible. 67 is actually the Miles Teller Fantastic Four. And there's actually four Fantastic Four movies on here. I bet you didn't know Roger Cormick made one back in the 1990s. It's actually better than the 2015 one with Miles Teller. Interesting. I never saw it. Did you think it was any good? Oh, it's horrible. I hate it. Oh, okay. All right. Electra, another bad one towards the bottom. Now, what I do find weird is I actually really like the 2005 Fantastic Four with Chris Evans and Jessica Alba. Oh, yeah. It's not the greatest comic book movie, but I thought it was, when you compare the era that it's from, kind of that sort of what I would call Gen 1 of new superhero movies like X-Men, Spider-Man. I actually don't think it's a bad take, but another one that is also ranked very low 
low on this list, the Punisher movie, which is ranked 57, which I love the Tom Jane Punisher movie. That scene with his family is brutal. Oh, totally. What I find appalling to me is that the original 2005 Fantastic Four, the Tom Jane Punisher movie, X-Men Dark Phoenix are all ranked below. Venom also are all ranked below the Ang Lee Hulk movie, which is ranked 41. I've seen that in years. Oh my, but it's horrible. It's probably one of the worst comic book movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Dude, I remember, don't they use like splash frame transitions? I mean, it's kind of a cool idea, but it doesn't work. It just looks bad. I, somehow they got Eric Bonnet in that movie, and I don't know how because it's a true money. As we go forward through the list, another one that I thought was ranked really weird: X Men First Class is ranked thirty seventh. I mean, I consider that probably there's just like no way the third or fourth best X Men movie. Like that's a top twenty for sure. Avengers Endgame thirty six. Yeah, there's just no way. I mean, that's a that is like an incredibly emotional ride. I mean, I would assume for most people that ends up top ten, but it's I mean clearly a top twenty. Okay, this is what I would consider another top: the Kenneth Braun Thor movie. It's ranked thirty fifth, but Eternals is ranked thirty four. Is Eternals better actually than the so, first Thor movie? I think Eternals and Thor combined are not better than Endgame. I mean, I would agree. <laughs> is Eternals better than Thor? That's the question that I asked you. No, I don't know. <laughs> I mean say what you will about the original Thor but it has some charm I think that's exactly what's missing from Eternals so a little bit 30, of charm so 33 is actually Spider-Man Homecoming um, uh, okay personally, I like I think, that one a lot that'd probably be in my 20s I would I think that's too low I mean it's better than the 32nd movie which is Thor Love and Thunder mm, yeah it's definitely better than that I mean um, I liked Thor Love and Thunder I thought it was fun but you know I, I know the internet doesn't agree with me on that uh, well I will tell you this Spider-Man Homecoming is probably better than Iron Man 2 which is ranked 28. I don't know. I really like Iron Man 2. Check this one out. This one blows my mind because I think this is probably a top five when you're ranking all Marvel movies. X-Men Days of Future Past, number 27. Wow. It's not even a top 20. I mean, that might that might be in my all-time Marvel top five. Uh, for real. I think it's amazing. I, I mean, it's one of my favorites. The Amazing Spider-Man, the first Andrew Garfield one, is actually ranked higher than Spider-Man Homecoming, mm. which I think those two should definitely be swapped. Thor Ragnarok is ranked number 25. Wow. That uh, that's probably top five favorite. for me. <laughs> yeah, that might be like my favorite. And Spider-Man No Way Home is 24. That's an awesome movie like i get everybody has their own opinion on like hey this is just my favorite but it's just objectively better than some well, of these other movies I, I think what i'm getting at is what blows me away is that the highest ranked of the tom holland spider movies is actually spider-man far from home which is ranked 22nd and i think in my opinion that's the worst of i think that's right that's usually considered the worst one yeah. and not that again not that it's bad it's just that if you have to rank no way home homecoming and far from home well that's probably how you'd rank it but yeah, right. No, you're right. That's the way you drink yeah. it. So another interesting thing is, so they have Deadpool 21, but they have Deadpool 2 at 20. I think most people would agree that the first Deadpool is superior to the sequel. I mean, both are funny, but I think Deadpool 1 tops Deadpool 2. Yeah, That's I have to me. agree with you there. That's weird. They're ranked next to each other. Yeah, it is. What else is weird is number 17th on their list is actually Big Hero 6, which to my knowledge is not a Marvel movie. I think it is technically, but yeah, not what people associate with Marvel. Ant-Man and the Wasp, which 
I think is probably one of the worst MCU movies ever made is at 15. And that blows my mind. Like Endgame is at what, 36? And they're like, Ant-Man and the Wasp is that high? You're like, what? Civil War is 14. I mean, Civil War is a top 10 for me for sure. Yeah, Civil War was really good. Logan is 12. I mean, how do you make a list of Marvel movies and not put Logan in the top 10? I think Um, most fans would, but I I will say that, hey, from a personal taste, maybe if you were never into the X-Men, I mean, I think objectively Logan is a good movie. Maybe if you just weren't into it, but it seems appropriately. I mean, like as a cinematically as a movie, I think it's got to be one of the best movies on the list. Ant-Man is number 11, just on the cusp. But number 10, number 10 is Doctor Strange. Is Doctor Strange better than Logan? Is Doctor Strange better than Into the Spider-Verse? I mean, there's so many movies here. that. Where's Into the Spider-Verse? That, I actually passed it on the way up. I didn't mention it. It's 13. I mean, I know for a lot of people, that's top five. So we're at the top 10. I'll just read the whole top 10 for everybody so that they know. So Doctor Strange is number 10. The original X-Men from 2000 is number nine. I like X-Men. It's not the best X-Men movie. I'll tell you that. But X2 is number eight. I think the case could be made that that's one of the best X-Men movies. No, and like, but the thing is, there's such a gap between X2 and X-Men. To have them next to each other on the list, you're like, yo, you can fill that gap with other movies. (laughs) No, I mean, if you're going to put two X-Men movies back to back in the top 10, it should be X2 and Days of Future Past. Mm -hmm. Number seven, Captain Marvel. Yeah, that's crazy. Number six, the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. I think that that warrants top 10. I don't know if number six. Fair enough. Number five, Captain America Winter Soldier. I love Winter Soldier, but I think Civil War is better than Winter Soldier. I do like Winter Soldier a lot. It has some of the coolest action sequences. Number four, OG Iron Man. I think that probably deserves a top 10 spot. Yeah, I like OG Iron Man. Number three, Black Panther. Number two, Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire. I mean, this first, I think that that a case could be made that that's number one in my mind. I still consider that to be one of the best superhero movies ever made. Wait, before Um, you say number one, did you say number six yeah what was it spider-man the original spider-man and what was five captain america winter soldier okay got you okay four was iron Black man Panthers. three was black panther two was spider-man two and one spider-man two is amazing i mean totally number one the avengers from 2012 i could see where it would get there i mean i, mean, I love i love the avengers i mean it's definitely a top 10 for me my question is is this list in terms of quality of the movie cinematic impact of the movie you can make a case it doesn't deserve to be number one I mean, its cinematic impact is enormous. I mean, what Marvel accomplished with that movie, it just cannot be understated. Now, granted, like you said, if you just judge the actual movie on its own merits, maybe you get a different end result. But I mean, the Avengers changed comic book movies. I mean, it's just it'll never be the same. There are some movies we didn't mention in here. Obviously, they had the Blade films. They had the Venom movies, Morbius. I did, going through the list, find one Marvel movie that they did not list. Nick Fury and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it was a a TV movie, but at the same time, there's a couple of movies on this list that they could consider like the old 80s Punisher, you know, the Fantastic Four movie. There's like a 1990 Captain America movie. And all these movies were like direct to video. So I'm like, if you're going to go that low, then you should include the the Nick Fury movie. If nothing else, other than the fact that it had David Hasselhoff (laughs) as Nick Fury. The Hoff. The Hoff. There you go, listeners. That was how The Hollywood Reporter ranked Marvel films. It did not list Black Panther 2, to my knowledge. I did not see it on there. I didn't see it either, yeah. No, I was going to ask, I mean, what are your, like, how would you do it? I said kind of my issues. I would probably put Spider-Man 2 as the number one movie if we're counting all of them. I would move Days of Future Past up much higher than it is. 
and there's a whole. If you crap had to rank of... your MCU, how would you rank the MCU? Because I mean, obviously, at least in this list, it's seventy movies. I think the egregious ones that stand out, a lot of the MCU. That's what we're talking about on this episode. So, well, then let's start there. We are going to list our top five MCU movies. If that's what you want. Now, this now, is how... Don't you have a running list? Oh, I have a list on my phone. And every time <laughs> I see an, a Marvel movie, I make a list of what it is. What I'll tell you is this. This is my opinion. I'm a little hesitant because you're going to start talking total smack on me the second I read number five on my list. Guardians? Oh, no. That's almost like dead last. Oh, I was going to say, well, good you didn't pick that because I wouldn't talk smack on that. I like Guardians. Captain Marvel is my fifth favorite MCU movie. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> yeah what about captain marvel stands out to you that puts it above so many grades well now listen and i acknowledge this as a as a film maker as a film critic like this is a total i realize that this is the weak spot in my mcu analysis but loved captain marvel first of all they play nirvana in the movie oh, yeah, so that gave good. it a sizable bump second of all it's just oozing 90 nostalgia third of all it was very much that kind of 80s sci-fi fun so i liked all those those aspects of the film and i did easily... like how they definitely they made it feel like like phase one mcu film yeah kind of like recapture that at least for one more movie because obviously it has fury it has some of those elements from phase one but even like you know the tester act all that stuff was pretty cool number four for me is captain america winter soldier i really enjoyed okay. it number three thor ragnarok it was kind of everything we really wanted in a thor movie the ultimate thor movie, and it's taika being taika and it's great and again first thor does a good job of challenging thor and him proving his worthiness but this one challenges every single aspect of thor's character thor is a king thor is a son thor is a hammer wielder yeah Thor is an oldest child like all these things that make up thor's identity are stripped away from him and that's why when he comes back at the end of the movie he is reborn total badass thor number two for me captain america civil war because how can you not like civil war yeah i mean i think with civil war the thing that always stands out to me is i would always use that movie and the fight scene at the airport specifically as an example of how you do fight scenes in comic book movies like they actually have the characters with all these unique powers fighting with all their unique powers. Yeah. Again, I kind of joked about it earlier. A lot of times these comic book movies get deduced to like a brawl. Yeah. And here for once, you're like, no, everybody is in their prime. They're all ready. It was epic. I love that scene. And number one for me is the original Avengers movie because it's just amazing. So you agree way. with Hollywood Reporter? Uh, I mean, if I was ranking one all of them, the original... I might still put Spider-Man 2 over it, but I don't have a problem with it being ranked number one. That's interesting. It was the first time we got that team up that we always dreamed of. Took yeah, as a comic book fan, you know, so first up, I do want to give some honorable mentions. So I do want to give an honorable mention specifically to the Captain America trilogy, which I also think is incredible. You go from kind of like the ultimate soldier all the way to he totally kind of rejects and he's like, you know, what is his phrase in Civil War? Like the best hands are still our own or he literally goes from the soldier to the independent. And you're like, wow. And the whole arc is great. I mean, one of the things that really stands out to me with like Civil War specifically is at the end of the day, it really is a Captain America movie. I think sometimes it's interesting to me because it's it's considered like mini Avengers because you have that team up scene. But generally speaking, it does kind of work for his whole arc. For sure. That obviously Avengers won. And I did want to give it a little tip of the cap to Guardians, which I enjoyed. It was just a fun 
fun ride. No, just total so, crap. Total number crap. five, number five on my list is actually Black Panther. Okay, I really enjoyed the movie. Like I said, I thought they got incredible music out of it. The performances were fantastic. I know you didn't care for it, but I thought Killmonger was a great villain. For me, I always felt like Black Panther in terms of the story structure is nearly identical to Iron Man 1, Doctor Strange, or Ant-Man. It seems like all of the origin MCU movies are very much structured like good guy gets powers, bad guy gets same powers. Yeah, they call it the uh, the mirror effect in Marvel, mm-hmm. where essentially the, the villain, is they have the same abilities that the hero has, but how they use them is different. It's kind of like if you could see an evil reflection of yourself, that's what... So I actually really enjoyed Black Panther. Uh, Number four on my list is Spider-Man No Way Home. I really loved what they did as a way of bringing all of the Spider-Man movies together. I thought it was just so well done. They did kind of uh, mess with our expectations a little bit, but we got Spider-Man Prime by the end. He did get the uh, with great power comes great responsibility speech. I love that they made Goblin the villain. Yep. There was so much that was done right. And then obviously it's a very touching ending because Peter Parker is sort of restored to Spider-Man. He's listening to police scanners, makes his own suit, loved it. The other thing that I think they do really well in that is they close up all the outstanding arcs from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man and the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. So satisfying as a fan. Oh, I was so happy Andrew Garfield got some closure because A, from a character standpoint, that was really rewarding. But B, just because he wasn't invited into the MCU at that time and they Mm -hmm. recast, I thought just allowing him to get closure regarding that whole experience was great. Yeah. So, for sure. But even seeing Toby kind of come out of semi-retirement over there, just bring it back for Spider-Man was awesome. Number three on my list is actually going to be the movie that started it all, Iron Man. Mm, uh, good choice. Not only is this actually like a really good movie, but it's one of my personal favorites. I love it. When I put it on, instantly it shoots me back to phase one MCU. Robert Downey Jr. knocks it out of the park. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. And a lot of what they do in that movie works really, really well. We get the first post-credit scene with Nick Fury. All around it was great. The only downside, I think, was that I thought Iron Monger wasn't the most captivating villain. He's greedy. He wants power and stuff. You know, even to that end, you know, at the end when he's like taking over, you're like, really? Like, you think you're going to go through all this and then just come back to work tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you right. know, yeah. You're kind of like, ah. That was the only weak part, though. But I mean, I think RDJ's performance just knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. So number two for me is probably the ultimate team up movie. And that's Avengers Infinity War. Obviously, it's hard to mention Infinity War without acknowledging Endgame because they're so tightly bound. But I think Infinity War is probably the ultimate just Marvel movie all around. All the characters mm-hmm. appear. There's storylines all over the place. There's so much interconnectivity. It was a blast to be there. And then I can't even describe being in the theater on premiere night and everybody turned to dust. Mm. It was shocking. Yeah. I mean, it was truly shocking. I don't know if we'll get that again. I don't know. Those only come around every once in a while. Yeah. 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 No, for sure, dude. So, and then number one, I'm going to put a Thor Ragnarok. Okay. That's just personal favorite. Like you said, I think it's the ultimate Thor movie. It's fun, funny. It actually, like I mentioned, Captain America, it actually completes his trilogy wonderfully. Mm -hmm. You know, I think at the end of the first Thor movie, he's not ready for the throne. At the end of the second one, he doesn't really want it anymore. And at the end of the third one, he's finally ready to take his place. 
Yep. I think it's just so well done the way they position Hella, his sister, ha- having him confront the terrible crimes that really built everything, you know, the throne, everything he knows, Asgard. Yeah. It was amazing. I thought it was just so well done. That's my number one. That's my favorite. And I, I do, I can't believe that for either of us, uh, Avengers Endgame didn't crack our top fives. It, it would be in my top 10, though. The team up moment is literally a once in a generation theater <laughs> experience i mean I, i'll probably i imagine that's what it was like to like watch star wars or get the uh darth vader reveal or something you know that only comes around every so often and who knows when that'll be again it was the best yeah that does it i guess you know we're talking marvel movies this week so i am interested you know i want to throw it out to our listeners obviously send us your top five list of which marvel mcu movies are your favorites we'd love to hear from you guys and obviously cp a lot of people have a problem with like your lists yeah so, they usually do <laughs> yeah if you got a problem with our list let us know that as well we will link to the uh, hollywood reporter article so you can all check it out if you have thoughts on that we might even put it up as a post and then just provide the link but we'd love to get some comments going on that because it really is a wild list i don't know who wrote it or if like they voted on it or whatever but it's shocking and then to everybody that either has seen it or is going to see it Give us your thoughts on uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Like I said, you know, you can go to my Twitter at BigKidDman to kind of get my personal take on it if you haven't seen it yet. If you have, would love your thoughts. That does it for our episode this week. So thank you all for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show, the conversation. And uh, CP, I'm going to throw it over to you. Take us out. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Filmmakers Comes Podcast. We will catch you back here next week. Until then, keep watching movies.